Welcome to How I Made That, a show about the people in and around the game industry and the things they make. A unique benefit of doing this show is getting to interview my friends and ask them all the questions I've always wanted to ask them about their lives and jobs. So my guest today is Leo Vader, the now former video editor at Game Informer and someone I've actually known for a long time without ever knowing too much about. Leo and I both worked as interns at Game Informer in the summer of 2016, and we've actually hosted a podcast called Game Quarry together for several years now. But outside of the stuff we've made together, I never knew how he got into making videos how he even ended up at Game Informer, and most importantly now, why he left that quote-unquote dream job to go out on his own. So after years of friendship, I finally sat down with Leo and asked him all the questions I wanted to ask him over the course of, well, those years of friendship. It ended up being a remarkably more touching and candid interview than I expected, as Leo told me about what working at Game Informer meant to him, how the company's very public layoffs last year affected his mental health, and what it's really actually like to leave a dream job. I hope you enjoy our chat. Leo, thank you for joining me. You're very welcome. This is this is a whole new dynamic than we're used to. We we host a very wild, crazy comedy podcast that people love around the globe. But we've never just sat down for a little fireside chat like this. Yeah. We've only done podcasts that people love before, so this is very exciting. <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> It feels like uncharted territory doing a podcast no one's going to love now, but I, I think we're ready to take this leap. Yes, as collaborators. <laughs> well, thank you for being here. I want to kick it off with a really big question. Okay. And one that isn't from me. This is from, you know him, Jeremy Bull, mm. and he wants the scoop. He, he, uh, he sent this to me on Patreon. I, he says, and I quote, I want the history of the look at the buns on that guy vine for people who don't know leo had a vine how many years ago would that have been oh my god what 2013 okay so like going on a decade at this point sure i'm gonna set it up and then you could tell us the story it's um a guy lays on the floor covered in hot dog hamburger buns maybe a mix of the two yeah hamburger buns i believe you look longingly at him and say look at the buns on that guy and then the cops come and say, this is the a comedy cop. police. Yeah, a cop comes, says, this is the comedy police. You point a gun. The joke's too funny. You point a gun at the cop and say, I'm not going back to jail. I, I don't know if it translates the oral history version of the joke. You put a picture. I got it. <laughs> that's the vine. Now, what is the story of that vine? Or is there much of one? Well, my friend worked at a restaurant, had a bunch of extra buns. Mm-hmm. In a big bag, brought him home one day. Too many to eat, but plenty to be a prop in a vine. Sure. So I don't know. We kind of came up with that bit by bit based on having a cop uniform around and everything. And it really <laughs> was the first take we did, which looking back at that vine, the way at the end in first person, I cock the revolver as I'm uh, saying I'm not going back to jail. And the yeah. gun is so heavy and it's like shaking <laughs> in my hand as I reach to pull it back. Looking at that now, it's like I could have tried that a hundred times and not gotten that so perfectly funny. But that really, I really admire that looking back. But it didn't do crazy numbers at the time until Kyle Hilliard reposted it at the okay. death of yeah. Vine. 
That's what I was wondering. Yeah, because yeah, I remember it like kind of blowing up when Kyle posted it. Yeah, it was like Kyle posted it, I retweeted it, and then one of my bigger followers retweeted that, and then it just mm-hmm. took off from there. And then people I, were tagging me in compilations on Facebook and everything. <laughs> it's, it was very fun watching that happen. So who deserves the credit then for the Vine success? Is it you or Kyle Hilliard? I mean, Kyle Hilliard. I wouldn't have posted it. He did. Do you owe him all your success? Is that what you're saying to me? Well, yeah, I would say so. That's the only (laughs) thing that got me the job at Game Informer. Never made a video before or since. I feel like that's a great segue because you left your job at Game Informer too, right? Which is a lot of the reason I wanted to have you on the show was to talk about that. Yeah, very recently after three years. Yeah, so you're still technically there, right? Yes. At the time of this recording, tomorrow's my last day. Okay, so a big key difference between you and me is you've had a job before, and I never have. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I think about this all the time, and I'm hoping you can enlighten me. Is It's somewhere like GI. What are your last few weeks of work like? Because I, for a lot of like media outlets, you know, there's a lot of, I guess, projects with long tails or long-term projects you're working on. So what are those last few weeks like? Like, what are you actually working on day to day? Hmm. That's a good question. I sure, it sure feels like uh, senioritis sometimes yeah. as far as like, I don't want to be <laughs> not helpful to, to Alex who him and I were the only two video people there. So if I yeah. slack, he is the one who picks that up. So I don't want to leave him hanging, but at the same time, it's like, I, sometimes I feel like my time is better spent preparing for my future. Sure. If that makes sense. Well, but so, but when I do want to work on stuff, it's like, let's do this fun thing that I want to do before I'm out of here and just like have a, make a few more fun memories with the people I have enjoyed working with. Yeah. So I guess more like focusing on what day to day content you can put out. Yeah, exactly. There's no big projects that I wanted to like get out the door that before makes I left. I, I don't I don't know how much you can say about like Game Informer internally as an operation, but I feel like you know the, definitely starting with Ben Hansen's tenure there, audio and video were such a big part of how people interacted with Game Informer. But the team was always two people. Did you have any perspective as to why it never grew like before your time or even during your time there? Uh, it's. It was tough, I think, getting, uh, let's say, GameStop, whoever those people actually were that we put under that big umbrella, who I still don't know a lot of their names. <laughs> sure. It's hard to secure funding for, again, this is my perspective, I don't know everything about the situation, for yeah. the video department when what made GameStop money was the magazine. So oh, sure. for you know years, we were adding writers Mm-hmm. But and always wanting more video people, it was just a little less proven. It was like, can we get the money? Can we, uh, what's the word? Lose this money on a video person, in the hopes yeah. that we'll get some growth out of that. Versus add staff to make this thing that's profitable even better. Did you all feel like the amount of work you set for yourself as a two-person team? felt adequate or was it always like you were kind of drowning in all the things you needed to do uh it felt like drowning a lot i think hansen certainly when he was there he was the last person in that office 80 percent of the time yeah like he was an incredibly hard worker and 
it was a testament to like if you want to not only keep up with covering new games and doing our shows that the community likes and we have a great community for that's pretty fine for two people but doing anything on top of that that's like you know late nights that's like you've really sure. got to have your heart in it what was the latest you ever stayed in the office and do you remember the video you were making when you did it it was definitely for who's winning e3 and okay. it would have been 3 30 in the morning probably jesus christ yeah do you have to like set the alarm when you leave how do yep. how do offices close? This I was well the security this code. Is like the, this is the level of nerd I get about one like about these things. Is I'm like, <laughs> do you have to set the alarm when you leave the office at night? You know, that's one of those things that really made it so weirdly real because <laughs> yeah. I never could have dreamed of first off getting a job like at Game Informer. Second sure. off, lastly, leaving of my own volition. <laughs> And getting that dream job and going to that amazing office that's just plastered in video game stuff, it's just Mm. statues of Kane and Lynch and the Skyrim (laughs) guy and just posters from decades of Game Informer history. Learning, like getting my security code and leaving and turning the lights off and putting in that code, that was one of those moments of like reality. Wow. Of like, (laughs) it became real in those moments. I, 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 we met as Game Informer interns, though we didn't, I guess, work too much together. I feel like the most work we did were things we, like, made for ourselves outside of Game Informer, like, Game Informer hours. Yes. But point being, I've known you for a while, and I feel like I know very little about you before that moment. Like, you're, like, you're kind Hmm. of a mystery to me, even down to why you make videos. So can you just tell me, like, what was your introduction to getting into videos and I guess experimenting with it yourself? Wow. Well, uh, well, I started in the CIA and they decided to plant me in Game Informer. <laughs> okay, interesting. So they gave me this whole fake backstory, but it pretty much goes like this. Uh, Follow-up my- question. Can you tell me the real story? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my sister inspired me a lot as a kid oh, as wow. far as making videos. Making videos that are long lost to time now, but just like but little skits together or whatever, just stream of consciousness. Let's film this shot. Let's film this shot. Video cameras, like a video camera my friend Francis had, we would just shoot and edit, you know, what's the word? Edit uh, on tape or whatever. Live edit, just like, shooting one shot, shooting oh, the next shot. Yeah. You know, I could just say the, not I, edit, I suppose. I swear to God, until I was like 16, I thought that's how movies were shot, like <laughs> chronologically that way. It'd be way easier, no man. With like scenes like that would flashback, and be like, oh man, they got to go back to that same set over and over. God. Yeah. But anyway, it was. As you were. <laughs> it was always just a fun thing to do with friends, was just yeah. making little skits, like, you know, starting in grade school, popping off in high school, and especially out of high school. But that's one of those things where you just start doing it because mm-hmm. it seems cool. And then it becomes more and more special. It's like we're making short films that I rewatched one of uh, in that we made in freshman year of high school or sophomore year of high school. Rewatched it recently. Dog shit. <laughs> yeah. Impenetrable. And, uh, and an unfortunate reminder of like where our senses of humor were at that time. Not oh. that it was offensive, but it was like, sure. this is real dumb. But yeah. still at the time, like making that stuff really felt uh unique like yeah. nobody else we knew was really doing that and being i guess the editor the shooter the editor 
got me a lot of a uh, positive reinforcement from my friends. They're very complimentary. And sure. I think just as I made more stuff and took more pride in it, and especially as the years passed and I would look back at the stuff we made and be able to enjoy it like in kind of a deeper way than I enjoy other content. Like it's mm. much more personal to me watching stuff I've made and I'm proud of. Like that's something I still carry with me today. But it's it really is like after years of doing it for fun, I kind of landed on like this is what I get the most pride out of doing. And as much as there are other creative pursuits I've been interested in, it's kind of that balance of time to pay off that works for me versus like making a video game, which would be, you know, massively more time investment and patience. Yeah. Sure. Did your sister, like, outside of when you all were kids, did she get into video at all, or was it just kind of like a flash in the pan for her? Yeah, she's been making some cool stuff. But oh, yeah. wow, interesting. Yeah. So it's like a little video family. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I, I mean, when did, like, when did, like, YouTube become your thing? Was Were you just always uploading videos to YouTube, or did... Was there a certain point that attracted you to, like, wanting to publish this for other people? Uh, the earliest I published a video to YouTube on record, I don't know if I deleted anything before that, but the earliest one that's still up was 2009. Yeah. So that would have been, oh, God, no, it must have been earlier than that. 2006, okay. I want to say. I'm very young in it. But sure. No, that was pretty much always, like, hand in hand with making the video was, like, how do I get it out there? So that's interesting. It's like, I guess on, on the writing side, it took me a long time to ever want anyone to see my stuff, but you were like uploading videos with the like desires for people to watch it pretty immediately. Yeah. Well, the thing is I, at any point of me making stuff in my life, I've thought I was pretty good at it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so as much as that perspective changes yeah. years later. It's still like I'm excited for people to see this. When when I met you, you were doing your own YouTube channel, and I have you know some questions later down in the list about that. But it was very much in line with kind of what game media was, which is you know the career you broke into a couple years later. When did you kind of find? But it was like your own twist on it, I should say. But when did you kind of find that voice and start pursuing the stuff you would do with like games are dumb and for kids, which were like you know Leo-fied versions of like op-eds or news shows? Sure. Yeah, games are dumb for kids was kind of the three-year period before my three-year period at Game Informer, and that was the most I'd committed to a games YouTube channel as far as like having a plan for it, really. Versus yeah. just like, I want to make random gaming videos and upload them to a random channel. It's such a cliche, and it's what everybody says when they're asked, how do you how do you make stuff? I want to make stuff, but I don't know how. How do you do it? You know, whenever anybody asks that at a panel, and the answer is, yeah, just do it. I, that's, I mean, that's the truest thing in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Because, like, mm. Games Dinner for Kids, when it started six years ago now, it was a first video I made for it besides the news show, was uh, Betcha Didn't Know Gaming, it was called. And it was a parody of <laughs> Did You Know Gaming. Yeah. And the jokes in there are like, I would write that same video today. It's just <laughs> like weird made-up facts, but having fun doing the Did You Know Gaming guy voice. 
yeah like the cadence of that video and and not only that but the new show itself was like jokes on the news and was 80 percent of what my e3 stuff a game informer would go on to be like it's it feels like when i want to grow i kind of have to work for it but otherwise it's like i'm gonna try this thing and here's the way that i get it done you know what attracted you to like this is such a nerdy question but like what attracted you to i guess games and slash games media you know what i'm saying like that anyone that gets into the game press landscape like that is such a very niche specific thing so was there like an outlet that you were super into or yeah what would have been the earliest on i definitely like giant bomb a lot in the games done for kids era i feel like that makes sense with wanting to do video too because that's so much of their like whole thing yeah for sure and uh some of the polygon stuff i liked when the mcelroys were over there Mm-hmm. But it was, yeah, it was just a, a way of like combining these things I like. Plus, I was just tapped into video game news the way a lot of people are, yeah. that they just like are yeah. really interested in the industry from afar. And so that was one of the things I wanted was just like, how do I make that, you know, my career? Knowing you pre Game Informer, I never could like gauge what you wanted out of the game press like did you always have aspirations to try to get a job like game informer or was it a hobby you did and you just happened to have an internship like i never really knew where you wanted to go until you know you had the job and it kind of made sense yeah you know i don't know if i did either i certainly would have been happy either if games are done for kids took off or if i got a job in the industry game informer was not the first place i applied to i Mm -hmm. made video cover letters that are out there somewhere for Polygon and for Giant Bomb. I got to the point of interviewing with Vinny and Alex oh, and Dan at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was like pretty much just making a living out of it because I did not like my my day job. And it was, a, it was a lot of my drive to even do anything at that time was to get out of working a job I hated. Do you want to uh, put your former employer on blast now that, you know, you're so far removed? What yeah. was that terrible day job? <laughs> of course, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. <laughs> and, uh, uh, where, where, where is that location you worked at? That's downtown Minneapolis is where I worked at. Uh, and all, all, all threats can be sent courtesy of Leo Vader. That's right. Go there and <laughs> give them COVID-19. No, they're very nice people there for sure. But it's just the nature of that work and the way it's like makes you feel I was hosting yeah. and food running and mm. just showing people the tables, doing pretty mindless stuff, but at such a fast pace and with such, <laughs> I want to say high stakes, but I know that's just brainwashing from like rude <laughs> customers. There's really no yeah. stakes at all, but it's besides it's a steakhouse and there are those stakes. Sorry. But it was like, it's hard on your brain to be that focused on something that doesn't matter for so long. It's like, that you'll work an evening there and it is you'll walk out and it's just gone from your mind you know i yeah. just i couldn't stand that but people get trapped in that because it's pretty decent money compared to what else you can do with no experience and no sure formal education sure when when did joe buckles get like in my in my mind with games are dumb and for kids it's like a, i don't know and i don't know if this is true correct me if i'm wrong but like it's like a co-YouTube channel. It's you and Joe. And there are other people that are in the videos. But I think it's mainly because of that news show. I always associate it with the both of you all. 
when did he like enter the picture of your life creatively? Like when did you all start doing stuff together? At Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, actually, right after I started, uh, you know, me and him were the only dudes at the host desk. And he was Mm -hmm. the only other person I'd met at that time who also had a PlayStation Vita. (laughs) And so he introduced me to Spelunky, which became one of my favorite games ever. And we'd play co-op on that. And it was like, I later found out that he was planning on quitting before I joined. And he waited a few extra months to quit because shifts like on slow Sunday nights where it was just me and him hanging out. Like that was some of the most fun I've ever gotten paid to have. That is friendship. I've never met anyone at any of my shitty jobs that I'm like, I would stick around at the shitty job for. That is, that's beautiful. It, I've, yeah, it was incredible. I've, he's still my best friend. I've, yeah, I was at a point in my life at that point where I just kind of had a falling out with like a former friend group and I didn't Mm -hmm. really have that in my life. And so meeting him felt like the absolute luckiest thing in the world. And we ended up making that YouTube channel together eight months after we met. Yeah. Or at least like launching it. So starting planning it before that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I kind of pitched it to him, but then it did become a co-YouTube channel. Like I've, he said he saw it as my baby, but I, we did work together on pretty much every aspect of it, even when it was like planning alternating content. I feel like with things like, you know, YouTube channels can be so almost like startup-y in a way. Like, what was it like, like trying to design your own this is gonna this is like so weird but like content late rollout or like you know plans <laughs> for like what kind of stuff you're gonna publish but you just being like two kids that work at a like ruth chris steakhouse like what is that like if is it creatively liberating because the stakes are so low or does it feel like there's maybe the stakes are high because you want to get out of something like ruth chris does that make sense like yeah uh, it it was uh, empowering. I think really? there are there are several points in my life I can point to and be like, I only did that thing that ended up being the right move or that thing I was proud of because I was just so frustrated in not having done it for so long. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have done a lot of content that I'm super proud of in my life, but there have yeah. been so many times where it feels like I haven't done anything I liked in months or years. And that was one of those moments where it was like, I just, so many ideas have nearly come to pass and I just get bored of them, let them fall. And I was like, I'm not going to let that happen again this time. And I think it was that frustration combined with having a collaborator who I just worked really, really well with together. Like who we saw eye to eye and never fought, always found compromises that we both were satisfied with. Like just filling off the checklist of like building the set, getting the lights, securing the cameras, planning the content. That all was just fun in itself because I was doing it with mm. somebody I was best friends with. And and that doesn't always mean great collaborators with, you know, but in sure. that case it really did. I uh I like that YouTube channel still up and I recommend anyone who hasn't seen it go watch like at the very least the news show you and Joe did that honestly i think one of the funniest things in the game press has been that show (laughs) you all had which actually is kind of something i want to ask you about because i i don't know how much of it is like you versus joe or some mix of the two but like i was trying to explain like 
your videos to someone the other day and I was like if you line up 10 previews of the same or like 10 of videos about the same thing like it could be a game preview like you're previewing whatever cyberpunk or whatever like yours would stand out because it's this weird mix of like being irreverent and kind of like sticking it to <laughs> this subject but also being really informative and funny like you always seem to have this unique spin on things you do even if it's something as like cut and dry as a game preview might be for most outlets so how do you approach a video like may it might be different from project to project but do you have like a philosophy behind how you want to cover something or make a video or am i trying to like add science to you know art <laughs> at this point? well first off thank you yes second off i uh Maybe it doesn't quite work that way. I think what mm. I would point to as what I'm happy I do is just like being super uh, particular, like writing and mm. rewriting something until I get it to a place I'm confident with. And as much yeah. as I hate falling off a project and losing interest in it and having nothing come out of it, that's still probably better than putting out something I don't really like or stand by. Yeah. But I think it is sure. just a lot of writing passes and trying not to rush it. Really? Interesting. How, how many passes do you think like a script you'll write will usually go through? Uh, well, it's tough. Cause I'll spend a lot of time on just like one line for, for E3 Kings or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know, 10. Wow. That's impressive. <laughs> Thank you. That's also a wild guess. I'll let a line rot <laughs> before I'll change it. Sometimes I'm so lazy. <laughs> you brought something up then that the, I think is interesting is like sometimes creatives don't know when to kill something because like they don't want to kill their darlings. But it is like very important to like kill something you loved at one point that just is not panning out, you know? Yeah. Do you, I mean, it is like, it's, I'm sure it's hard to nail down a percentage, but they're like sometimes in my own work where I feel like, I'm going through a period where I'm killing 70% of things I try. I mean, how often for you is, do you have to walk away from something? You know, sometimes it feels like most of the time. Yeah. Which again, it like feels worthwhile to say like, at least I've thought that through and no, I can't do that. Like most recently when thinking about uh, concepts for my new YouTube channel, like premises mm. for videos, it's like, I've thought that through and it really wouldn't work out. I've tried to outline it or whatever, but it, Usually I would say like half the things I think of, and there are definitely points where I'm in a down period and it is like sure. nothing's working. How did the whole Game Informer thing happen? From the outside, as someone who was talking to you like kind of regularly at that point, it was like one day you worked at Ruth Chris and then the next day you didn't. So how did you, like, how did you get brought on to the whole like operation? That's precisely how it felt for me. <laughs> uh, Amazing So we did that internship summer 2016 I got along well with people there Ben Hansen, mm -hmm. bless his heart Oh I'm everything in my life He was yeah. like I do this uh, Tech stuff for This live Minnesota specific news show Called Minnesota Tonight If we need any video help do you want me to call you This was like the last day of my internship And I said yes of course I would love that Please Yeah. Maybe a month later he said, yeah, we'd love to, to bring you on. It's a volunteer thing, so it was like, mm -hmm. they'll take what they can get. But it was exciting to work with Ben Hansen. He yeah. was incredibly present for that 
completely free side project he was doing on top of his paid video career. Like a lot of similar stuff, a lot of planning content for social media and editing oh, wow. skits. A little more on-set shooting, which I know he enjoyed. Mm. And I enjoyed too. I had a lot of cool opportunities with that project, but uh, you know, I'm probably not shocking anyone by saying the main reason I did it was because I was keeping in touch with Ben Hansen and I liked the opportunities sure. that gave us to work together and just hang out, just be in each other's mm. circles. And uh, about a year later, May, year before our, in, after our internship started, May 20th, probably 2017. I guess I'll tell this story. I haven't told this story publicly. I don't think I was, uh, okay. At Roos Chris, doing Minnesota Tonight stuff, but feeling kind of aimless. Joe Buckles and I were still doing games to drum for kids, but totally remotely and syncing up where I was just staying up till 2 a.m. so we could shoot something after he got home from his work at 3 p.m. in Osaka. Uh, oh, right. He was Osaka. in Japan. He was in Japan, yeah. yeah. And I thought about it for a long, long time, and I was like, I really should move to Japan so that wow. we can work together because I know wow. how good we work together and us yeah. being separated, it was like pointless. Like I knew the purpose of my creative career was to work with Joe Buckles at that time. Mm. So I started trying to learn Japanese with just apps on my phone, <laughs> looking at jobs out there, so wondering how much Japanese I'd really have to learn to transfer out there to like a Ruth's Chris Japan, which would probably be my best shot at having employment out there. Oh, like seriously? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Hundred percent serious. But I yeah, I had preemptive conversations about that. Like if that'd be possible. Ended up telling my Mm. family one night. I said I'm gonna save up money for a year, and go move to Japan, to be with Joe. And they were sad but supported me. Wow. And then, if not two, if not the next day, two days later, Ben Hansen called me completely out of the blue. And said, hey, are, would you still be interested in working at Game Informer? No shit. <laughs> and I said, yes. Wow. And that was the scariest week of my life waiting for that to be final. I was like, just say no at this point. This is such a level of <laughs> <laughs> terror. This yeah. like limbo I'm in of not knowing whether I'm there or not. Like I couldn't sleep. It was fucking an intense period. And then finally I did the interview and they were like, I found out later they were going to accept me. Like they knew me from the internship. Yeah. There was no me messing up that interview. It was three days before E3. They had to get me in there. And so they did at the buzzer. Wow. And I started right at E3, which is kind of a crazy time to start, but that is an amazing story. And also, uh, kudos to you for having the unmitigated gall to put something out like who won e3 your first week on the job oh no that was the, that was the d- next e3 that was a year later oh, okay okay <laughs> i got been, my years mixed up something. so what's the what's the day-to-day of a game informer video editor i mean you know we talked about kind of working at a deficit earlier you know tons of daily stuff you all are putting out what's tell me the ins and outs of the job Morning meeting, talk about games that are coming out, what we want to cover, what we have in the office. I'll write mm. notes down in my notebook of this is something we could possibly do. This is something we should definitely do. You know, plan it out. Usually for like, let's either do this right now or let's do this after lunch. This is not very interesting. <laughs> but 
it, we would just uh yeah it was about it was about finding people to be on stuff people would pitch fun ideas and you'd say do we have time to do this do i have the willpower to do this would this be yeah worth the energy you know output wise well i guess what i guess what i was wondering was like the coordination involved because like game informer and increasingly these days at least in the u.s is alone in being a print magazine too as well as being you know having podcasts and videos and having a website so people are stretched so thin there and there's only two people doing the video stuff full-time and not you know having to write you know page 16 or whatever like i guess i'm curious like what's it like trying to coordinate around putting out like a monthly fucking magazine you know yeah no that was definitely tough sometimes there's just you know about a week a month where everybody's crunching on the you know i don't want to throw around the word crunch people were there reasonable (laughs) hours sure sure but uh yeah it was it was a lot of you know let's see what we can do with these resources and usually come magazine time there was like one or two people that didn't have a lot to do and we just had to find those people and figure out what to do with them but (laughs) yeah i don't it's nostalgic thinking of that time in that office and planning things then versus planning things in quarantine how did it change in quarantine i mean i assume pretty drastically right yeah i think in general it just became much harder it Mm. was hard to get people's time when they're you know looking after their kids and whatnot yeah at home hard to plan all that stuff out hard to record and stream and do all that stuff that i used to do on our powerful studio computers on my not as powerful personal computer and my not as good internet connection oh sure and just the energy of being in an office with those people is very different than just yeah. knowing they're out there, but not really talking to them unless you have something specific to do together. Because you miss that, sure. you know, somebody's playing a game for review, you walk over, shoot the shit about it, make jokes. Yeah, That energy is so different. And I feel like it would have been harder to leave Game Informer if I was still in the office because that oh, is sure. like such a special work environment. So to not have been in that for the last few months kind of makes it easier. I, uh, I've been wondering about this recently and it's not like exclusive exclusive to Game Informer. I'm curious about it with a lot of, you know, like newspapers or other magazines out there. It's like how a team that is used to working on a physical product like that, and I don't know how much perspective you would have on this being on the video team, but like how a, how a team used to working in the same office on a literal physical product, how that's affected when like overnight you can't be in the same room with each other anymore did you get any do you have any thoughts on how that worked for the magazine from my perspective which again i only saw it from the outside i didn't really have to yeah. take part in it it was our really talented production department who is never on videos really they just do their do their work unsung but yeah they put together a remote like proofing system so that wow just finding these solutions so that we could make this magazine from home and as far as i understand it's been flawless so that's awesome that's one of those weird things where it's like it's an expensive office we're in it's two floors it's in downtown minneapolis Mm. it's not cheap and now we're making it without an office at all yeah you gotta rent the spiral staircase that spiral staircase is legendary (laughs) that i once grinded down how did you do that (laughs) how did i accomplish that effect (laughs) 
I was yeah. I was deleting that clip the other day. I still had that raw clip. That was me like picking up the skateboard and setting it on the railing and holding it there and climbing up and standing on it. And then <laughs> off screen, just above my legs, which were standing on the skateboard on the railing on the spiral staircase, I was just holding onto the railing above and kind of scooting myself along. And that's why I'm moving so, so slowly in, in that grind. And were you doing that by yourself in the office? Yes, that was by myself, last day of E3, everyone else long gone. If I fell and broke my neck, they wouldn't have smelled me till Monday. For listeners who might not be familiar with this right now, um, I, I forget the exact joke set up, but um, there's a E3 video <laughs> there you wasn't did much. where you do, <laughs> you do a... Uh, a sick grind down the staircase in Game Informer's office, which is a very extremely narrow spiral staircase. Um, it's a great sight gag. But uh, Game Informer being in Minnesota, uh, compared to other outlets, what do you think are like the unique advantages of working at Game Informer? Like, what do you think stand would stand out about working there versus IGN or Polygon or whatever out other outlet in America? Uh, certainly freedom. Like, the my favorite thing about working there for so long was coming up with this crazy feature idea of, like, we'll play yeah. all the sports in Tacoma, that <laughs> walking that? simulator. Yeah. <laughs> Criminally underviewed <laughs> video, but we played the football and pool and basketball that's, in Tacoma, and it was very so fun. funny. But, like, doing stuff like that with no oversight... And no wow. expectation, really. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like we're gonna we're gonna fulfill these obligations to our community. Anything on top of that was kind of go crazy. And I can't picture that at any like Polygon or IGN because those places. I mean, I don't know if people realize the size difference. Like sure. Game Informer being under GameStop, I think people assume it has a lot of resources because GameStop famously mm-hmm. has swimming in money. <laughs> but I, that's right, baby. everybody who finds out that Game Informer is just like 15 people and five yeah. people in advertising or whatever downstairs, and that's it. Like people visit the Game Informer mm. office in Minneapolis and they're like, okay, so where's the main office? You know, it's just, sure. it's small and it is efficient. Yeah, I, especially with an outlet like IGN, you sometimes like see a picture of their editorial team alone, and you're like, "That's a small army of people." Yeah, totally. It's like wow. we fight to get SEO help, you know, search engine optimization mm. on our articles and things like that, just to yeah. show up better in search engines and whatnot. And you know, like IGN has t- two floors of SEO people. Something yeah, insane. It's the size difference, I think, you know, it hurts us in some ways as far as amount of content we can put out, but in a lot of other ways, mm. like like I said, freedom, like it really paid off being small, I think. And it made us feel, you know, I mean, it was nice knowing everybody at the company, right? Like you wouldn't have that at IGN. For sure. Something like uh, this, uh, it, it kind of sounds like a backhanded compliment, but like, you know, compared to like, other outlets game informer never seemed to get like the traffic especially something like an ign would get because that's just like you know they're kind of in a field of their own but game informer also seemed to have a a, i shouldn't say have has a way more committed audience like you know you're not just kind of getting whoever washes in it seemed like you all like 
like you said, like a literal community. I mean, you have the Facebook group and everything that all the editors are like a big part of. Do you think that, do you think that is those people are like attracted to the type of content you can make with that freedom? I think so. I think the people like, would say they like the weirder stuff we do people there. Cause that's sure. what I think <laughs> why we maybe would have spent too much time doing weird stuff or too much time doing really specific stuff like a super replay playing through an old game is because the community was like we're here for that weird shit that only you guys are doing that's awesome yeah so yeah the, the community really was a big part of it i think and like you said sure. like i you know you look at an ign comment section you don't want that you don't wish yeah. for that <laughs> level of quote-unquote I mean, success but like even if all those comments were good there's too many to wade through you know what yeah. i'm saying like you're never going to recognize a username even if every username is saying the nicest shit in the world about you <laughs> right when yeah. you have that many i guess um what are the what's the flip side of this whole conversation like at game what are the specific disadvantages of game informer like it, that doesn't have to be something inherently negative but like you know, you are also kind of like marooned out there in the north away from anyone and everyone in the industry. Yeah, that's definitely something. Not being able to have yeah. people in the industry in person on the podcast very often, nearly mm -hmm. ever. But yeah, wow, disadvantages. I don't know. I think I felt like we kind of aren't always a part of the conversation as far as like those big oh, outlets. It feels like we're removed from that kind of conversation both geographically and internetomically but that's from by virtue of us being smaller i think is just i don't know it's when we were in the news yeah. it was like a weird day at the office it was like oh people are talking about us today yeah but i guess like the because i feel like there's a lot if we kind of think about it there's probably a lot of outlets like that like no one's yeah talk bringing up games radar very much <laughs> but game informer also had like a historic element to it which was kind of like an ironic conversation that it wasn't part of the daily conversation but there was still this like almost like how respect for what andy and reiner and all those like lifers had put into it you know what i'm saying yeah i mean the disadvantage i thought of sometimes was we you know we had some great growth in my time there as far as subscriber numbers and everything like that but still, I don't think we ever grew that fast. And countless videos, we were like, oh, this is the one. This will pop off. It never did. Yeah. And I wonder sometimes if that's part of Game Informer's legacy of, obviously, it's been around forever and been had a great reputation throughout that time, I think. But yeah. it's still, everyone knows Game Informer, right? You see the name Game Informer, and you know what to expect at this point yeah and i think that sometimes it's like if we had started with a new name five years ago like would we have grown faster just because sure people have their minds made up about game informer for better or for worse i think what do you think are the things people don't know about game informer as an outlet or just like as an operation i think just how hard the production people work like that whole wing yeah. that puts together the the magazine like those are the the unsung heroes for sure but sure. i don't know i think it's mostly pretty above board like people the layoffs and everything that was very public <laughs> people people noticed yeah. that happening <laughs> yeah you know i don't know i think in my departure recently people were 
I saw people speculating of like, is something happening with GameStop because these people are leaving at once. But it was really like, no, everyone's, everyone is pretty honest there, I think. Pretty transparent, mm. as transparent as they can be. What surprised you the most about the things you had to do from day to day at Game Informer? Like, what was, was there ever anything you, you know, became something that was common in your job that's like, oh, I never thought this would be like a day to day thing as a video editor at a, any outlet, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of making, a lot of my time was spent making shells, quote unquote, which are oh, pages okay. on the website that have images and text describing the video. That was like, <laughs> that that took up a lot of time. And thank God we got a new website that was much easier to work with in the back end. You and I remember from our internship mm. how bad the old website was to work with. But the actual yeah. like back end I've, of doing not only that stuff, but prepping things for social media, that's like mm. such a part of the job. And I think is part of a Game Informer's size, right? Is that everybody does that for their own yeah. articles versus a yeah. place that has a social media team. Yeah, I remember even as an intern having to write up like three different tweet ideas for every article I wrote. It was a very bizarre process, like trying to like come up with a good tweet to be like, oh, Rocket League added a new wheel. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> when those layoffs hit last year, I mean, like, like you said, it was extremely public in a way that... I don't know, maybe this gets to what we were talking to. It was like a lot of more attention than you usually see on Game Informer, which I think is unfortunate. It had to be something like that. But can you tell me about like in how you all found that out? Like what was the day like in the office there when all those people were like, oh. Is that out there? I can tell I can talk about it. Yeah. But it was like one of the worst days of my life, of course. Sure. Of the people that got laid off that day, which were seven people, Imran, of course, on the West Coast, Suriel was the only one in the office that day. They they had, there was somebody from GameStop and somebody who I don't think was security, but was a b bigger dude and was there to like help escort people off the premises. God. But... Suriel was the only one who was actually in the office. Everybody else was like, JB was at Gamescom. Jeffen was on vacation. Like, yeah. At the risk of telling too much, uh, the layoffs, we all agreed, were handled terribly. Like, I hated who they laid off. And for their goals, I think it was even more the wrong people. Mm -hmm. But, because, yeah, it was like everybody, it's all the biggest personalities, I think, or most of them. It's like, here's the new people yeah. that are just here to make content. That's who we lost. And I think that was kind of shown by how that lack of understanding was shown by them showing up on a day where one person was there. Like, that's how little sure. understanding they had of what really went on. And a lot of those people who handled that situation are gone now, from my understanding. Mm -hmm. And whoever we're working with now have been nothing but kind to me and nothing but supportive. It's a very much a nice. different team at GameStop now, but at that time, mm. it was like these people know nothing about sure. what's going on, and uh, it was just uh, horrible. Yeah, they walked Suriel out of the building. We were just not told who was getting let go, so it was kind of like checking with everybody. I think we found out Jeffen was leaving because 
he wasn't on Slack anymore all of a sudden. Mm. Like, it was a complete mystery. We were trying to find a pattern in who was getting let go. Like, the, that, like, four-hour period where we knew layoffs were happening but didn't know who was terrifying. Yeah. I We were all sure I was going because we thought it was, like, new people. Like, oh, Hanson sure. hugged me and said <laughs> said goodbye. And we were like, I don't know. We're <laughs> not getting work done, so let's just go wow. play Perfect Dark in the conference yeah. room. And, yeah, it was like... Yeah, it was terrifying. For for you personally, you know, I mean, like, how did, how did you handle that mentally? I feel like you were still not too not new at the job, you know? And then it's like, it feels traumatic just to listen to, honestly. <laughs> That's <laughs> how I would describe it. It was, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a betrayal. I'm trying mm. to find a reason not to be completely honest here, but... I'm just going to be completely sure. honest. Like, yeah, I didn't want to work for GameStop after that. It, it was like the trust had been broken. And again, they're rebuilding it over there. It's different people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at that time, yeah, it was like I, I tweeted about it at the time in a way that got uh, me talked to. <laughs> I remember the tweet. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to recite it, but I remember it. <laughs> but yeah, that was like after a night of us all drinking with all the people who got laid off at a bar near the near the offices i just let a tweet loose that was too much too honest yeah but I, I it was like yeah i don't know i can't picture working here anymore and mm. for a while there were different shades of maybe i could maybe i could still do this maybe there's a way where I, it still works and it's not like yeah. It was all bad memories after that. Sure. Tons of tons of fun times after the layoffs happened. But mm-hmm. obviously all with a little twinge, a little back a little thing in the back of your head at all times of like, did a fun video, go upstairs to the bullpen that used to have twice as many people in it and is now just like a ghost town. It was really hard to heal from that. Yeah, I guess that's what I wanted to ask about is like, how did, what was like the mood at Game Informer post those layoffs? Uh, People were more ready to leave like the day of, like the sheer impact Mm. of that trauma was like, (laughs) are we all going to leave today, guys? Like, what are we going to do? No, nobody's even understands what happened never mind is okay with it yeah but it was a case of like yeah giving it time Mm -hmm. still it's still a great place to work especially for people like who live in the area and don't want to move their families to la yeah to get another job in the in the biz and especially because Mm -hmm. and but again this is in the context of who knows if more layoffs are coming you know, that's what we were mm-hmm. thinking at that time is like, <laughs> it, we just didn't trust the job itself for a good couple months there. Interesting. Did, did, you know, I, I, I'm assuming these would be the guys in charge of something like this, but did Andy McNamara and Andy Reiner, did they try to salvage morale and slash or the company culture, even though, you know, half of it had just been kind of like unceremoniously ripped out after that? Yeah. 
I, I eventually they did. Eventually, we did get more context of like what happened, and not that it made us less yeah. mad about it, but it helped mm-hmm. us understand like more layoffs are not coming. Yeah, here's why they decided to do that, even if we didn't agree with what they did. But I think mm-hmm. there was a lot of, not just from them, but from other people of, like, we can still have fun working here. It sucks, but yep. it's still a great job. After the layoffs, you know, I still got to go to, like, Poland. I got to visit <laughs> sure. Blizzard. Yeah. Like, I got so many. There were a lot of reasons to stay. Yeah. And there still are. But, yeah, it was very conflicted. You were at Blizzard on a really precarious day, if I remember hearing I was indeed. Right? I was indeed. It was the day. Do you want to talk about <laughs> what happened that day? It was the day of the Blitzchung controversy wow yeah so this was a a hearthstone player who's who held up a sign i want to say that said liberate hong kong i think something like that or maybe he just kind of like shouted it out i don't recall the like exact specifics right but he was uh banned for that which was uh very uh, controversial blizzard aligning with the Chinese government because it turns out the protesters over there, they kind of have some good points. Yeah, maybe a point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but uh, that was remarkable. You didn't feel it when you were there, really. Like a couple things was on the the trip, like being shown around was suddenly like, okay, we're not actually going to go in there. Like on the tour, it was like, okay, we're not going in there today. And there was uh, a protest on the lot at the big statue yeah. of whatever World of Warcraft guy they have. There was like a protest going on. We didn't know what it was happening at first. We found out later that it was a a gathering of Blizzard employees protesting. Wow. And at the time, they had like covered up some quotes on that statue too. I think that they were like, "Well, Blizzard <laughs> isn't even aligning with its own mission." Statement. Yeah, exactly. Did you see any of that? Yeah, I saw them covered up. Yeah, it was like whatever, speak freely or something. <laughs> don't align yourself with the chinese government they decided to cover that up on the world of warcraft horse that they had out there (laughs) yeah that was rule number one but that was surreal (laughs) we didn't find out what was happening until i was just browsing discord on the walk to the office wow and i saw somebody posting about it yeah it was crazy wow so Why'd you why'd you leave game informer walk me through it I, i think i feel like we maybe got into it a little bit but what was the decision making behind, you know, getting and leaving your dream job? Yeah. I don't know exactly if I l- am leaving because of the layoffs. Uh, rather, I don't know if I would still be leaving without the layoffs. Yeah. It's it's not like I thought the job was perfect before the layoffs. Sure. I certainly got more out of it, and that's certainly when all my most of my favorite memories from Game Informer were. But I guess it was just a matter of people. Maybe this isn't the main thing, but we'll start here. People were really nice to me there. <laughs> like I got sure. such amazingly good, positive, I should say, feedback on the mm. stuff I did. And specifically the stuff that was uh, all me, I'll say, that was mm. like, me performing, me writing, stuff like that. The 
level of support I got on that. It was really hard to be to not be like when there was a a project I didn't want to do, you know, whatever, cover this boring game to my, you know, view. Or sure. <laughs> go on this cover trip that's like not a game I'm particularly crazy about. There was always that thought in the back of my mind. It was like, I feel like I could be doing something on my own. I feel like I am, I don't know. I guess I just felt like I could. Because I'm leaving now to be part-time at MinMax and to part-time do my own thing. MinMax, yeah. because I love those guys. And I still want to be a part of games in some way while I branch out on this YouTube thing. But it's like mm. I really want to give the solo thing a go because Game Informer at its best is still me working for several chains of people. And especially if one of them is like yeah. a corporation that I'm not crazy about, it's obviously much more appealing to be my own boss. And yeah. not only that, but with MinMax, it's like the part-time thing, I'll be my own boss. The MinMax thing the community is all of our bosses <laughs> and there's no <laughs> sure. there's no middleman there right and that is so appealing yeah. of like let's do stuff that the community wants because they're supporting us that's like mm. such an unfathomably fun concept and as far as what leaving game informer this youtube thing i've wanted to do it forever yeah. it took me forever to get it off the ground game informer when i told alex i was leaving I'm jumping all around here, but I'm sorry. It's a it's okay. weird subject for me. Yeah. When I told Alex I was leaving, first off, when he came on in September, he told me when I told him I was leaving. Oh, my God. I'm screwing this up. When he told me, <laughs> when I told him I was leaving, he said, in September, I asked you how long I could expect you to stay around. And I said, summer. And he said, You've lived up to that. And I forgot about that conversation, but that made me feel better. I was like, oh, yeah. Because wow. I really was yeah. like thinking about next options, next moves. Mm. It was layoffs very much broke my heart in a way that couldn't fully be fixed, even though things did go back to quote unquote normal for a while. There was always that. Sure. That loss that no matter who the specific people are above me, it's the nature of working in a corporation, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have to do it. It's not the worst thing in the world, but I sure want to give a life where I don't do that a shot. And I sure would regret it. <laughs> sure. If I don't. But the other thing Alex yeah. said is this isn't where your heart is. As much fun as we've had together, it was like there, I was always just had it at arm's length since the layoffs. And there was always that, don't tell listeners don't tell anyone this whenever there was like some really exciting thing potentially to do it was like do i want to do it to increase gamestop's bottom line like it was sure. hard to get myself excited about that you know and i want to make it clear that there's no shade to the people who are still there and doing that and again mm -hmm. it is a great job it is a dream job they're doing things for themselves and for each other and for bigger reasons than my petty like i don't want gamestop to make an extra cent but mm. it's very hard for me to shake that feeling over these past few months and sure i uh 
had to just rip the bandaid off. It was like, I was really tired of kind of half-assing it. Like I think people at who liked me at Game Informer, God bless you. Like I was disappointing them by how little I was on stuff towards the end, how little mm. I was putting effort into it. And yeah, it's, I think Alex really summed it up well. And he just said, this isn't where your heart is right now. I, I think even for me, it's surprising to hear that you had, I guess, like moral compunctions with it. But hearing you like spell it out, it, it makes sense that you would want to be somewhat distant after what happened to your team, you know? Yeah, it was like I could fool myself sometimes. Most of the time, sure. even. <laughs> but it's like that <laughs> sure. being in the back of my mind all the time sucked. And from the announcement of leaving and everything, it has been really, really freeing. And I'm like really excited about my future in a way I haven't been in a while. Hell yeah. So I uh, I only have a few questions left for you. Uh, one of them, a very cliche media tweet is, I've left my dream job. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and then they, they announce their other dream job. But I am curious what it actually feels, what it feels like mentally to leave a quote-unquote dream job because in some ways it's an oxymoronic statement you know what i'm saying yeah um and we've talked about the the circumstances that led to you leaving it but how does it actually feel to leave something you would classify a dream job it's never a lie to say it's a dream job right because at one point it was a dream job and it is a dream job for other people Mm -hmm. it's just Certainly not my dream job right now or else I would probably not be leaving it. But it is one of those things I can never talk about anywhere because who cares? But it's like you can get used to anything, right? And like the first year of Game Informer, I was beaming ear to ear all day, every day, excited to get to work every day. And then it kind of just becomes, you know, it's your job. And you look forward to mm-hmm. being home at night and hanging out with your friends and not doing it anymore. Yeah. That's kind of what, there's an intro on my channel. It's like a little bit of lore and that's kind of what I'm talking about there. When I'm looking at space and I'm bored as shit by it. It's like, yeah. I don't know. No matter how, how amazing it is, it's like it be, can become normal sometimes. And again, can't ever, it's not even a real complaint and I can't say it to anyone because you know, shut up, dumbass. You got your dream job. (laughs) (laughs) I I get what you're saying. (laughs) Like, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're writing book reports about children's toys, (laughs) but we still have to clock in and clock out. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it doesn't change the fact that like, I mean, I I work from home, but I I don't like, you still got to work. Yeah. So I get it. But, and when I, in the job interview, I remember specifically a game informer, Matt Burt's asking me, where do I see myself in 10 years? And I was like, for so long, I've seen myself getting a job like this or, you know, getting paid to do this stuff, regardless of whether it's for a company or for myself. So I was like, I have no clue what I even want now (laughs) because this is the goal. (laughs) That was my not extremely good job interview answer, but it was true. And as things change and as time passes, it's like, yeah, I have new new goals and new dreams and you know the the joy of life is making uh moves towards your goals so the the min max thing working part-time there is that 
Is it fair to assume that's going to be comparable-esque to your job at Game Informer, or are you taking on like a whole slew of new responsibilities with them? It'll be comparable in some ways, except it's from my talks with Hanson from the start. It's like here, he said, you know, what do you want out of this? And I told him, and we found a way to make all that happen. So it's like awesome. some gameplay stuff. I'll be on some other limited series that I'm relevant for, but it'll be a lot of mm. video essays or edited features like that. Just things that I found over my time at Game Informer were my favorite things to do. Because cool. I, I love gotcha. being on videos with people, and it's so much fun, and I, it's easy. <laughs> but it's also <laughs> sure. not the stuff that I'm like the most proud of. So I think just like doing doing enough of that per week where it's I do it for fun, and it's not taking yeah. up room where things I'd rather be focused on would would otherwise go. I think it's like Game Informer was so so useful for finding what I what I want out of my creative career, mm-hmm. and now I feel like I have a really good plan for how to balance it. And I'm really excited to get started. The YouTube channel. There are two videos mm-hmm. out: an intro to the channel, and then a video. Is it is a video essay? I guess you would call yeah. it. Yeah. About your experience living with ADD, right? And I, I, they'll they'll be linked in the show description and all that. So if people haven't seen it, you'll be able to just quickly click and watch it. They're great videos. Thank um, you. Very funny, irreverent, and informative. Just like I described your, pre- <laughs> I think I used just like a cyberpunk preview <laughs> as an example <laughs> earlier. But what I am unclear on with the new channel is what is the pitch? Like what? I guess I'm I'm not sure hmm. what the channel is yet. Sure. If anything. Yeah, I mean the the elevator pitch is it's video essays about topics from pop culture and whatnot. Or just culture. Okay. In the in the uh wrapping of my house is warping around through through the universe. So there's like a little bit of a okay. lore <laughs> edge to it. And it's all canon with sure. itself, but it's still for the most part comedic video essays as someone who you know has collected disorders like their pokemon cards <laughs> this being me um I, I i i don't have add but i felt like i i resonated a lot with the things you said in your add video and how it's affected you and really appreciated how honest you were about you know something i think even for myself like i was grossly mis- misinformed on and thought it was just this like overdiagnosed disorder and actually hearing someone like yourself open up about it was really enlightening for me but it also like struck me as kind of a surprising topic for you to tackle why did you want to make your relationship with ADD the first the first video of your new venture I think it was because when I was writing it which I had been writing that video for a long time uh, it seemed like the most challenging topic for my skill set. Yeah. And if I could make a good episode out of a topic that was like my life, then I would feel very confident about being able to do it with, with anything. Because obviously I know I can do it with snippets of game news or whatever, making fun of whatever other thing. 
but yeah. doing something that's more personal that was like more of a test of should i even expand in this way and would i be happy with mm. it and I, for the most part was but i still didn't know how people would react to it so that whole morning before i announced because the video went live as my announcement did was had a lot of anxiety that morning a lot of trouble sleeping and everything but like the the positive feedback i got on that and like a, a very close friend reaching out saying it was really meaningful that really yeah. like was satisfying and fulfilling in a way i you know maybe have never had it's for something i put out so it was very it very much reinforced what i'm doing and made me believe in doing it it's a great video and it's an interesting approach to talking about like mental health that I feel like I haven't seen a lot of like being irreverent and somewhat self-deprecating, but also being like sincere and informative about mental health issues is like a really interesting angle. And I really liked the way you packaged it. Thank you. Um, I doubt there'll be more yeah. specifically like that. <laughs> like here's yeah, the, sure. next, the next disorder I have, but <laughs> the, uh, so this will, this will go out for everyone later this week. Um, so I don't know if you have anything coming out before that, but what's the what's the next topic? You're oh, you want that as an exclusive, huh? That's right. I do. Uh, the Donald Trump episode of Saturday Night Live from <laughs> when is from 2015, <laughs> like five months after. Oh, really? Running. You're being serious. I'm serious. <laughs> That's the thing is, people <laughs> won't know what this channel is until there's like four videos there, and then you'll see. Oh, here's kind yeah. of the spread of what we're gonna be doing here. So yeah, okay. I've been I've watched that episode multiple times. I've been taking fervent notes, and I've been writing that today. Yeah. And it's a, a doozy. Well, do you have any idea when that's going to go up? A week from Friday, at the time of this recording. Okay, so probably like a week after this episode goes up. So, thank you for coming on, Leo. This has been great. We've done a podcast together for like three and a half years, and I feel like today was the most I ever got to know you. So I really appreciate you dropping by. And talking to me about all this My stuff. pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is not something <laughs> I've really done before. Sure. As all podcasts end, tell us where we can find you, all that good mm. stuff. Plug all the new ventures. Plug the old ventures. YouTube.com slash Leo Vader. That's the <laughs> beating heart. LeoVader.com has got all my other links on it. Uh, YouTube.com slash MinMaxShow. Two N's. That's where I'll be starting to help out starting this tuesday at the time of this recording you'll see me on there okay, okay. and yeah it's like a, the, on the on the eve of many new things for me and i like i said have not been this excited about my future in a while that's amazing you forgot to plug something though <laughs> that wasn't enough no, no. uh twitch.tv/leovader.com oh i see I see. Well, see, that's on leovader.com, Blake. Obviously, they'll go there. Never get down to game query. I can't query. do it. It would be vain of me to plug my True. podcast on my podcast. Well, but you can plug my podcast on my okay, podcast. Okay, sure. Well, my podcast, Game Query, which I just work my ass off on, Uh Twitter.com slash game underscore query. You're going to want to check that out. And if you could just reply, like, thanks, Leo, for editing, or thanks, Leo, for <laughs> giving Blake his host lines, that would mean a yeah. lot. Now that, you're, now that you're unemployed, do you want to edit game query? <laughs> we'll talk about it off mic. I'm busy, man. Sorry. Uh, 
Okay, sure, sure. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate My pleasure. Thank you for listening to How I Made That. And thank you to James Smith, Jeffrey Kieschlick, Jeremy Bull, J.V. Gwaltney, Jill Grote, and Kenneth Shepard for supporting the show on Patreon at $10 and or above. If you want to do the same, you can do that at patreon.com slash Blake Hester. That is all one word. The theme song for the show is from the album Iconic Bitch by 3D Blast.